Yeah, and we will um, we'll, we'll respond um, to all of these um, in some form or fashion, um, but maybe not right now. So a good a good question. Um, so am I up here alone? A good question uh, that is often looked at is asked from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Remember that passage where it says where Paul says, well, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you, have all, you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abram's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So, uh, what is that? How does that apply? Well, again, context. What, what was Paul saying when he was saying there's no male or female or no Jew or Greek? I mean, obviously, he wasn't uh, saying there, there's no… I, I don't recognize that there are Greek speakers or Jewish people. I don't, um, I don't recognize that there are the, the, the male gender or the female gender. Um, but the context is telling us, verse 26, he has just said, for you are all sons of God or children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is, so in God's salvation economy, um, it doesn't matter if it's a Gentile or a Jew, or black, white, or, or, or green, or male or female, the gospel is applicable and is salvific. What Christ did on the cross does not know gender or race or a social status or, um, um, you know, a person's nationality. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has full access to the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace of God and is welcomed in as a full member of His family. Um, that's what Galatians 5, it, it is not in a context that He's talking about church order. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's often maybe times taken out of context and then applied in church order. Context, context, context. That's what Galatians um, uh, 2.28 uh, refers to. Now, um, yeah. So that, that, that's one question. Hopefully, does that any… I wish we had a roving mic, but we don't. In this auditorium, we can't really do that. Um, so, uh, let's see here. First Timothy, let's go into that passage again. First Timothy 2, 12, uh, you know, a woman must quietly receive. But then Paul says in verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So, okay, if we accept this interpretation, one way to possibly negate it in terms of our application for us today is say, well, that was, again, Paul's opinion because he says, I do not allow a woman. He doesn't say this is God saying this or that um, Jesus saying that. Um, so is this really a commandment or calling from God? Um, 
And, and again, good question. But although I, we, this comes down to understanding things related to um, inspiration of the Scriptures, um, the, the apostolic authority that Paul had when he communicated God's Word, um, if, there, if every directive in the New Testament uh, said, um, God said, do this. You take the book of James. Don, um, correct me on this, or did he leave? Where is he? Did he, did he skedaddle out? No, he didn't. Uh, I think of the 108 verses in the book of James, 108 verses, 54 of them are actually imperatives. They're commands. 54 commands out of 108 verses in James. But guess what? I don't think any of them said, and God said this, God said that, God demands that. The understanding the nature of divine inspiration as conveyed through the Apostle Paul, that he wrote that down. Um, the, now, interesting things, uh, what, what about when Paul says, I give my opinion on this? That's another whole discussion, um, but um, um, Paul has given instruction to the church. He's speaking as um, the apostle, uh, to the church, and he's giving the instruction. And unless it's negated somewhere, we have to accept that as authoritative for the church today. But if we, if we accept these perspectives and there are, that there are roles, differentiation, uh, differences and roles in the church, and we look at the different roles, that because I can't do this, it, it, does it somehow devalue me? Um, so, if, um, you know, a woman comes and hears this kind of teaching, is it possible that they could jump to the conclusion, um, uh, man, I, I don't think I want to be, I don't, I don't think I want a God who is calling me to be silent in the assembly. And it brings in this question again of value and worth. Now, here's how I would respond to that. I am absolutely 100% convinced it has nothing to do with one's value or worth. Now, if a person jumps to that conclusion, well, uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to work and be discipled on that. But here's why I can say 100% conclusively it has nothing to do with one's value or worth. Because God said it does nothing to do with one's value or worth. Value and worth is established in creation. He made them male and female in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's he talking to? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is a sense of order, um, but there is equal value and essence in the Godhead. And he says, I'm going to make man in my image. So he takes two distinct creations, man and woman, two distinct um, genders, sexes, and he says, um, I'm, I want that to reflect um, my person. One God yet displayed in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. So he brings two distinct individuals together, man and woman, and he brings them into a one-flesh relationship that reflects the honor and the glory of the Trinity. As a woman, your worth and value is as valuable and worth 
uh, as, as God the Son and God the Spirit is to God the Father. Um, just because there are roles does not at all now, if you want it to view that way, well, then, you, you know, that's a conclusion you'll draw. I'm just telling you, God doesn't draw that conclusion, and neither should we. Role differentiations does not equate to a lack of value and worth. Now, if that were true, um, I mean, I, I don't want to get too off here, but I think sometimes you women have maybe played that game with us men. Because, um, you know, okay, granted, maybe we're not quite as intuitive. We haven't been created certain ways. Or, we, we, you know, we didn't bear children. We can cry when we hit our thumb with a hammer. And you have born children. And, um, but that does not make men any less valuable because of the role we take. So, Yes, there, there is a, there, 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 there's a place for anyone within the household of God. Um, and I think that's important to, to reemphasize. Um, this might be a good question for John, but we do see Adam naming his wife pre and post fall. But what of Genesis 5 2, where it says that God named them? So. In other words, in what sense did Adam name um, Genesis 5-2 said, and he created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day in which they were created. Um, well, they, they were, when God created um, the six days of creation, you know, the light and dark and the animal and the, the vegetation and um, he called it out. God said, and it was true. And then on the sixth day, he creates this apex of all creation. Um, let us create man in our image. Let us form and fashion uh, um, this, this, this highest of all creation. And it created him male and female. He created him. And he gave him a designation. This is humankind. This is separate than animals. This is separate than bugs. This is separate than plants, the planetary bodies. This is man. This is my creation of humankind. And that's how God named them. He, he placed the value and worth of his creation of humankind. But in order, as we go to chapter 2, as John laid out, the, the creation account is... Um, uh, is, uh, is, is kind of re- read over again, and it started over again in chapter 2. And he, he gets down more than nitty-gritty of what, how God did this creation, and he creates Adam first, and he gives Adam this responsibility to name the animals and to, to not, as John went through, not to, uh, um, to, to, to cultivate and keep the garden, which, by the way, are, are terms that are used elsewhere in the Old Testament of worship of serving and worship God. He's calling man to be a worshiper and a servant of his. And, um, and then God takes from the man, the rib, um, um, the, 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 the woman, and brings her to the man in this beautifully designed uh, marriage scene. And, uh, and that's when Adam now named her. This is now 
uh, bone of my bones and flesh of my she shall be called woe woman uh, because she, and that and Adam did that role God creates mankind gives him that blessing of humankind and then uh, Eve is created and um, yeah and um Genesis 3 and verse 20, because it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. So we have two places where he names her. Genesis 2, he names her Isha, because she's taken out of Eve. She is woman, because she's taken out of man. But then he also gives her this, uh, that, that name is a generic name for all women, but then he gives her a personal name also, which is this name Eve. So in answer to the question, yes, God does name mankind, but he clearly gives the man an opportunity, which the man takes generically, this is woman, specifically, this is Eve. Right. And I think it's important to also um, note that when God explains to Adam, I'm going to, cre- I'm going to give you a corresponding helper, um, and this is brought out, and I think most of you may understand this, but it's a Hebrew word, Azar, that is um, applied oftentimes to God himself. God is our helper. He is a very present help in time of need. This is not some low-level servant groveled position. It's a corresponding helper. Now, why did God do that? In fact, I think there's something very important here to understand. God just gave Adam the command, do not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the garden. I think that's verse 18. He, he just gave that command, and then, or verse 17. And then in verse 18, he, it's like he looks at Adam. Adam, you're to serve me, you're to worship me, you're to cultivate and keep. Um, and, but all the way, by the way, don't eat of that tree. And it's like he steps back and looks at Adam, and then he says in verse 18, it is not good that man is alone. Why did God say that? Well, you look at all the animals and procreation and all that stuff. But God made that statement immediately after giving him the command to be his worshiper, to be his servant, to not eat of the tree of the garden of the Middle East. And that's when he creates the corresponding Azar, the, the corresponding helper, the one who comes alongside and together work with man, woman, in combination, in uh, oneness, in unity as a one-flesh relationship to honor and serve God. And it's almost like God was saying, man is going to get off track. He needs a helper. I, now, that's an argument from silent, but he could also say, well, the woman might get off track too, and she needed the man. But it's a high and holy calling and to relegate that term and to be embarrassed about it and to try to somehow figure out another way that God really didn't mean what he said um, is, is improper. Um, Don, uh, maybe could you, do you still have your mic? Yeah. Um, so again, verse 15 of that Second Timothy passage, it's um, what, what, what do we do, what about women who do not bear children, and I think you alluded to that, but maybe um, expand that women will be preserved, be saved through the bearing of children. You alluded to that, maybe expand upon that. Is there a deeper interpretation to this passage uh, which would uh, include all women, you know, childless, uh, uh, child bearers or not? 
Um, make sure I'm on here. This passage should not be understood as if Paul is exhausting the whole, um, not only value, but roles of all women in all contexts. We have to look at the whole of Scripture for something like that. And so Paul does address singleness. Um, We know that, especially in the Old Testament, there were women that wanted children and couldn't have them. Um, So this verse 15, and certainly in no way, is teaching that it's the divine call of all women to have children and then to disciple them, so to speak, or invest in them, that they are the ones that then grow in those listed characteristics of godliness. They're discussing whether I'm right or not, I think, up there. <laughs> Keep talking. Okay, Iowa plays uh, Northwestern at 3.30 today. Is that um, timer right? So. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I, I do want to... Are you done, Don? Yeah, that's... <laughs> in more ways than one. So. <laughs> um, by the way, this is not the formal gathering of the body, is it? That'll be tomorrow, tonight or tomorrow morning. That's how we interpret it. It's a little hard to... Uh, again, application of these passages can, is a little difficult... Um, what does it look like? How, how do we apply these things? Um, now, what the elders have said, we would have no problem. Christy Vocal is sitting right here in the second row. Christy's a great teacher. I, in fact, I think she's more of on the line of a Bible scholar. And we have others in this congregation that, Annette, you, you know, a, a great teacher and, and others in our congregation. I would have no problems with Christy getting up here and expanding a little bit more on the book of Genesis because I think you've got some good insights um, as, as a student of, of the Scriptures, would have no problem with that uh, at all. Um, now, it does say, I don't allow a woman to teach or exert authority over a man. If she gets up here, isn't she teaching and exerting authority over a man? Yep. But not when the church is gathered formally. There's something about that formal gathering of the body that is very important. Now, elders, have I interpreted that correctly? I mean, is that, don't, don't stone the... But that's, that's how we understand that. Um, it's, it, now, it, it is a little tricky. So, say, uh, Adult Learning Center. Yeah. I think they, I think they turned mine on and yours off. I'm so, Okay. May I, may, I, may I comment on that, Mark? Okay. Uh, being up in the Adult Learning Center, um, you know, I, I concur with Mark that we have gifted women uh, that um, we've utilized in classes and so forth. Uh, the elders have um, looked at the Learning Center as an extension of the assembly meeting. So we've had... Um, that in play in terms of the students who attend those classes being female. But I just wanted to say, I I ran out of time when I did my, I thought I'd easily get my manuscript in 15 minutes and I was wrong. Um, I just want to say on a personal basis, 
that for me, a lot of the disparities of the role of women in the church that I see in the New Testament have been resolved for me personally by seeing the distinction between the assembly meeting and all other contexts that Christians meet. That has eliminated um, a vast part of the disparities for me personally, yeah. where I'm very comfortable. And I, so I appreciate that emphasis that Mark has given, and I tried to give it myself a little bit, but uh, just on a personal testimony, that's, that's my case. Now let me, let me just uh, invite you into a little elder meeting because, uh, so, so what about, you know, uh, on, on the Lord's Day, uh, the Adult Learning Center up there? Yes, it's not in this room, but it is the church gathered on the Lord's Day. Um, do, do these, does this still apply to that? And that's, over the years, we've said uh, it probably does, and, and, and Don has helped us wrestle with that and, and see. So we're, we're continuing to wrestle with that. But um, when, it's, when it comes to applying these things, would it be easier just to cut them out of the Bible and say forget it? At times, yes it would. Um, you happen to be a part of a church that takes very seriously the scriptures. And um, so that's why we're, we're, we're agonizing over these things. How do we apply this in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a modern day culture? Because there's things we do today that Apostle Paul probably never even thought of. Um, I, I know, um, I would have no problem on, in a sermon, I probably have done it before, to quote from uh, Elizabeth Elliot. I mean, she's a, with the Lord, but what a great author and great insights. I have no problems doing that. But if Elizabeth Elliot were alive and she came in the assembled meeting, she herself would, would say, I would take a, uh, I would be, I would not teach or exert authority over man in that assembled meeting. But for me to read from her book in the assembled meeting, that's, that it, is, is, it is different. It is different. Um, it's not her being here and exerting that authority. Um, so, so, I mean, as Mike said, we're still wrestling with this thing. Here's one question. Uh, what is the, in, there in 1 Corinthians 11.10, what is that symbol of authority on a woman's head? I have no idea. <laughs> Lisa and I were a part of a church when we were in seminary. It was called a Plymouth Brethren Assembly, the Brethren Assemblies. And they did uh, teach that in, in, the, in the formal gathering of the church that the, the women had some type of a, a covering on their head as they participated in the life of the, uh, and, and, um, and drew it from that passage. Um, I, I do, many, many commentators say there was probably something more unique in terms of an application to the Corinthian culture. Um, and there has, there in that culture, it was all the more evident that if a woman came, um, it, would, it would be disgraceful in some way not to have her head covered. Um, one commentator said in our day and age, it, it might be a symbol like a, a wedding ring or some, some symbol that says, um, you know, I'm his and she's mine and and we're together on this. Um, but I, I don't know for sure. Someone else may know. Um, but we're running out of time. Um, so, um, again, uh, w w what does it mean when it says that she is the, the, the glory of the man in that passage? And man is the glory of Christ. And again, I think in, what, in the context of what Paul is, is talking about. 
and, and, and we have to, this is another hard thing about Bible study. Um, in fact, I'm, I, again, I want to just give kudos to, to Christy Volkel on, on some of this. There is so much background, uh, historical, theological background that we in the 21st century miss. We, we, we miss. I, I, when I was uh, teaching the book of Luke, I got a, a nice email from Christy uh, when I was going through uh, uh, the baptism of John and John's baptism and how that, that idea of baptism, the mikvahs, that if you go to Israel, you'll see the, the, the baptism pools, the mikvahs and the cleansings and the washings, was so very much a part of Jewish society. It isn't part of our society. We don't have mikvahs here where people come into the worship center. You've got to go dip in the water and, and do this ritual cleansing and stuff. And John was doing that out in the, the desert. He was calling people to repent and be baptized, go through the cleansing, identify. Um, uh, so there's, there's a lot of background. That, and, and so good students of the scripture, we have to do our due diligence. We have to do our understanding. So for instance, in this passage, I think Paul has this breadth of understanding coming out of Genesis again. The woman was created second um, as the corresponding helper so that man can honor God and they together can worship and serve God together. But it was not good for man to be alone. He needed that corresponding helper. And what is her role? How does she bring glory to the, to the man? By coming alongside him and assisting him and giving him insight and wisdom of what it means to honor and glorify God. And you bring glory and honor to the man by not, um, uh, by not being, uh, you bring honor and glory to the man by being respectful, by being loving and, and, and caring, but directive in terms of what the Holy Spirit is teaching you to help that man serve and honor God. It's bringing glory to that man to fulfill your role that has been laid out in the book of Genesis. So that, that would be one way I would handle that. Um, maybe one more here. Can I do one more? No? Let me see if it's a hard one. If it's not, then... Uh, this, this is a technical question going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2.12 about the, the conjunction, the corresponding conjunction, ude, with the two infinitives, to teach and to exert authority over. Would there have been another construction used that would um, uh, have merged the two concepts together? Uh, I don't think there would be a, a different conjunction used. Two different words could have been used mainly nouns. So, um, in fact, in one of the authors that is more the egalitarian, he, he disputed this position of the two infinitives and that they are merged into one idea. The problem is I think every illustration he used were two nouns. He didn't use two, two infinitives. So this is technical, but there are two infinitives that are used to teach and to exert authority over a man and ude is that corresponding. So in that construction, um, there will always be two separate ideas. Now, they will convey a similar concept. Um, if you looked at 
Acts chapter 4, verse 18, um, or Acts 21, 21, is, um, I think Acts 4, 18 says something about that the Pharisees told the apostles, no longer can you speak or teach in his name. Those are real similar, to speak and to teach. They're two separate ideas, but in other words, don't stand up for Jesus is kind of the common idea. Um, and, and that's conveyed in this. It's, it's really hard and it's technical. There are two distinct verbal uh, infinitives to, to, to teach or to exert authority. And you have to maintain their distinctiveness. But basically the big idea is um, men are to lead the church and women are not. There's a big one idea that, that it, it conveys. So um, if there were some nouns that were used and connecting, then you can, it comes with, a, it's called a hendiades, and you can say um, uh, Mark is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a bad and confusing teacher. And you can convey it as he is confusingly bad, or he is badly confused. And so it's a hendiades, it's, it's connected together that way. In this construction, you can't do that. I, I, the, the grammar, the syntax does not permit that. Paul is not saying, I permit, well, I do not permit women to teach domineeringly. That it, you just can't do that. In fact, a point of grammar or of textual grammar here, if you looked at the Greek text, five words separate to teach and to exert authority over. They're not even real closely connected. Where in, in, I think typically in the Greek text and in Hadides it would be close together. So there's numerous things that um, I could go on and talk about. Verse 11, there's parallel constructions. And uh, anyway, um, we'll, we'll get to some of these others later. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for taking all those questions. Let me sit down. Uh, at this time, we would like to close and we'll ask Phil if he'd come up and close us in prayer. Um, and thank you all for coming. And thanks for, to those who are listening to this online as we have recorded it audited, audited with sound, <laughs> but not with video. Well, seriously, <laughs> the levity is, uh, is good and uh, the lessons are good. And whether you agree with them or not, you can say this, the elders and the pastors have sincerely looked at these things. So let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come humbly before you. We're praying for unity among all who serve in the church. And we pray that we will have a, uh, a heart of Christ regarding who does teach? Our hearts are regarded as, as, as Christ is regarded as the head of the church. Our, our hearts are sincerely tuned to him. He is the bridegroom. And he will return for man and woman alike, his bride. And in them, all will be fulfilled that we each and together are are one. But in, even now, we are even now washed and uh, 
and justified and being sanctified in his name by your spirit. You are worthy, Lord, of all power and, and honor. All glory is yours, Lord. And our worth, uh, as, the, uh, as the popular song says, is, is in Christ alone, not in any externals. And so we, we set those aside that we may find in each other equal worthiness under Christ. You've revealed to us in this church age your purpose, you know, that your church would demonstrate your man and angel, your manifold wisdom, your redemption from the penalty of sin. Before the fall, all was in perfect order, and since the fall, you have allowed us to see the consequences of sin and to experience them. And all nature groans for your return. In this world, there will be troubles, revolutions, and all sorts of, of madness. But you've called us, your church, men and women, saved by your grace to be light to this world, to glorify you in all that we do. You've delivered us from the power of darkness, redeemed us, forgiven us by the blood of your Son. And while we are to be subject to one another and submit to one another, we desire to be fully faithful. And so we examine our hearts and diligently study your word, seeking understanding and application. And we continue to do so for how we may serve according to your will and certainly not according to our biases. We love your word, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.